well, what sort of week have you had? Perhaps a week with low points and high points. But we meet a year after Russia invaded Ukraine, having promised not to do so. The Chinese are agitating over Taiwan and perhaps itching to get involved in a war. The whole world is reaping the consequences of the actions of our world leaders. Now, if you could write a job specification for a world leader, a head of state or a prime minister, a king, queen or president, what would be on the list of characteristics that you would like to see in them? What would be on it? What sort of things do you want them to do? How would you say they should behave? How should they lead? Well, today, it's the first Sunday in Lent, and we begin to pray for, prepare for Easter. Lent is a period thinking about Jesus's life between his baptism by John in the River Jordan and his trial in Jerusalem. Today, we look at the first thing Jesus did after his baptism, when he was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus, the incarnate son of the immortal, invisible God, goes off into wilderness on his own. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, reading from the New International Version. Headed, it's headed, Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So what have you been up to in the last month? How many places have you been to? How many people have you seen? Meals eaten, meetings attended, films and TV programs watched. How many places have you traveled to? How many school runs undertaken? Can you write a summary of what's happened to you in the last month in less than 246 words? What a challenge. 
Yet here we are, and we have just that. 40 days in the wilderness, and all that's happened is reported in about 245 words. I suspect it hardly scratches the surface of a full account of everything that happened, all that Jesus did and thought about, and so much could probably be said. But here we just read a distilled record, the key points recorded in a way that is easy to remember. Three events. Now, immediately before this passage, we read about Jesus's baptism in the Jordan by John the Baptist. At his baptism, the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and rested on Jesus, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So what next? Jesus came to be the king of Israel, a leader of the nation. And now the power of God's spirit was with him. What should he do? I wonder what John was expecting to happen. What were the crowds looking on expecting to happen? Will Jesus storm Jerusalem and set the people free from the oppression of the occupiers? Take control of the nation, reveal himself as king and have everybody pay tribute to him. But what happens? Not the speculation, what we told happened next. Jesus disappears into the wilderness. He goes away on his own. But he goes away because he was led by the Spirit to go. Even at this high point in Jesus's life, after baptism in the river and filling with the Spirit, Hearing God's word, from his voice from heaven, Jesus was able to discern that God was actually leading him away from the people and into the wilderness on his own. So why did he go? Well, he went because the spirit led him away. Jesus was as much human as God. And when he came to earth, he restricted himself by being born as Mary's son. He was in a human body with all our human feelings and bodily difficulties. We need food, water, shelter, love and affection. I think Jesus needed to go away to be with God in prayer, to consider what his ministry was going to be like, where to go and what to do. What sort of king is he to be? He hasn't got a job spec. Why was he away 40 days? Well, the number 40 would immediately remind a Jew about the nation's 40 years in the desert, led by Moses from slavery and the bondage to freedom. The 40 days paralleling the 40 years. But Jesus needed to resolve and decide his next steps. He'd had 30 years to think about what to do. And now it was no longer time for thinking for dreams, wild imagination about what he might or might not do. It's decision time. Jesus chose to rely on God and was determined to do what his father wanted him to do. Now, as he's alone with his thoughts in the desert, Satan comes to tempt him to try to derail his mission by trying to persuade him to disobey God and do his own thing just as Adam was tempted to disobey God in the Garden of Eden. In the passage, we're given three temptations that are based around bread, 
protection and power. And together, these really sort of cover the fundamentals of life. So what about bread? Well, as we do today, Jesus needed food to maintain his body. With no food, he would die. And Jesus went into the wilderness to fast, to deprive his body of food, to allow him to concentrate on hearing God. But what happens when you fast? A prolonged fast. Well, it said, because I haven't done this myself, it said that after a few days, your appetite goes away and you begin to use up your body fat. And after a prolonged period, you begin to use up other organs in your body. You become weak and die. And the limit is said to be around 40 days. This seems to be a critical time to eat or die. And we read that Jesus was hungry. And it's just a one-liner. Uh, he was hungry. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he was hungry. I think that completely underestimates the statement. He's not hungry. He's not, I, I need a quick snack. It's a burning desire to eat to survive. Now, I don't recommend fasting to this extent. It, it's dangerous and not really necessary. God knows we need food to be healthy or we cannot function. And fasting in the Bible is a short abstinence from food to focus on God. Jesus had to eat, but there was no food readily available. So Satan comes to him and says, as you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Or to put it another way, Jesus, you are starving, malnourished, mentally depleted. Why don't you use your power as the son of God to turn these stones into bread? Eat and live, because if you die, you fail your mission. Go on, give it a go. You can do it. So this temptation, I think, was for Jesus to use his power to feed himself, to look after number one. God provided manna in the wilderness to Moses. So God's son can turn the stones into bread. Jesus resisted the temptation of using his power to look after his own needs without the say-so of God the Father. And Jesus's reply to Satan is by quoting from the Bible, from a passage that describes the exodus in the wilderness from Deuteronomy. And the passage he quotes is, is from Deuteronomy 8. And it says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what's in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Humbled, tested to know what your heart is, Jesus was challenged. Will you keep the law or not? Or will he follow what his father tells him to do? It's easy to say you don't live by bread alone when you're not near starvation. You're not nearly dead because you haven't eaten but Jesus does and he doesn't give in 
He sees that living a life based on God's word is as important as eating bread. He considers the word of God spoken by God, and the breath of God, which brings life as, as important as physical food and drink. So this is also about the spiritual life and relationship with God, not by bread alone, but by bread and God's word together. And that's for us today. We don't live by food alone, but we need God's word. We need that relationship with, with God today. So Jesus is not going to use his power to look after his own needs. He's going to use it to do the will of God as he's guided day by day by the Holy Spirit. Exodus chapter 17 and verses 1 to 7, reading from the New International Version. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, travelling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarrelled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled. And because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? So we come now to the second of the temptations. About testing the Lord. And protection. Satan comes to Jesus and says, as you're the son of God, why don't you go to the temple and throw yourself off the top? And all the people will see God's angels hurry to stop you from being hurt when you fall. Jesus is tempted that his ministry could be like a circus show of miraculous happenings, morning, noon and night, doing things that should be impossible and expecting God to intervene. Stepping off the top of the temple is some 150 feet above the ground and being caught by angels. If people saw that and other miracles, they would follow Jesus. And follow they would, like they would, many people do today with the superstars and celebrities in our society. Lead a celebrity life and lifestyle with everybody bending over backwards to know you, be with you, take selfies with you, to be in the spotlight, to be seen with the rich and powerful. However, each time Jesus jumped, he would be testing God. 
would God be faithful to his word and save him from harm? And all Jesus had to do was go and do it and find out. Test God time and time again. Jesus's reply was based on Moses's experience in the wilderness. Do not put the Lord to the test. The people were complaining to Moses they were thirsty and out of water, parched and facing death in a dry and hot land. They needed water. But instead of trusting, they tested. Jesus' ministry was not going to be centered upon miracles, drawing people to him because of what he could do and miraculous signs. He wanted people to believe and trust in God. He wanted them to believe and not test. Don't believe in the signs and wonders. And it's not about the signs and wonders if you have no living faith. Believing and trusting in God is the goal, not just seeing miraculous events. The next one, the last temptation, was about power. Perhaps the most important temptation. Who was Jesus going to follow and worship? And who was in charge? So Satan comes to him and says, and he takes him up onto a high place and he sees all of the nations of the world laid out before him. A bit like when you you know get to a high place and you can see the country below, or if you're flying in an aircraft and you look out and you see the land below. But Jesus, Satan says to Jesus, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus was human. And as humans, we see power in the world around us controlled by our fellow human beings. Satan, however, holds sway over the world we live in. He influences people and this leads to evil, war, aggression, rape and pillage and devastation. And it seems that mankind are only too eager to seek and destroy, to ravish and lay waste to the world and the people in it. And this is evil, and we're all capable of it. Jesus is tempted to go for worldly power. His human side would be drawn to this. Go with your desires. Take charge. Change the world. You can be king. You can reign in power. You can seek and destroy. You can put the fear of God up them. Them being the rest of humanity. Rule by the sword. Rain death and destruction on all those who don't toe the line. Men will follow a strong leader. They will follow orders and do anything you ask. They will kill the innocent, bomb the weak and helpless, destroy lives and livelihoods, force people to follow and do as they're told. Look at many world leaders today. We know this can be done. People will follow in their millions but normally out of fear. Look around and we see it in nations and in families. And so Satan is challenging Jesus to follow him and rule the world. But Jesus' response is, worship the Lord your God. That's another quotation from Deuteronomy 6, where it says in verse 13, fear the Lord your God, serve him only and take your oaths in his name. So what's going on here? Well, take a step back and look at the audacity of Satan. Bow down and worship me and I will give you the world. 
Satan says this to the son of God who created the universe and the angels and Satan. Satan is asking Jesus to put Satan himself in the place of his heavenly father. And Jesus says, worship God. Jesus tells Satan that this is also what he should do. Satan has rebelled against God and wants men to rebel as well. And Jesus refused to follow and said that God alone is to be worshipped and followed. So Satan goes away. Goes away to try later. He doesn't give up. He'll be back. But Jesus has now set his way forward. It's a life and a ministry where he's going to worship God, to call people to faith in God the Father, not to seek worldly power and wealth, not to make people follow out of fear. Instead, he will worship God, follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit and show the world God's love. Through prayer and fasting, Jesus settles his mind, listens to God and comes back from the wilderness to be a shepherd of his people to be a suffering servant king, to bring life and health and forgiveness, to bring love and healing, and to draw people to God to enter his kingdom, which is not of this world. His style is as a servant, a servant king, and his approach will be as a shepherd tending for his flock. So we've heard about Jesus's time in the wilderness, where he's been contemplating how he's going to be king, what sort of king he's going to be. Now, if you were bored with the sermon or got distracted by writing out a list of what do you want in your uh, ideal president or world leader, just remember that what you want them to be is also what you need to, to be yourself. But what will our style of leadership be? Well, you might say, well, I'm not a leader, but you are because you lead all the people when you direct them or tell them or watch them. So in families, it doesn't have to be the, a national leader of a big superpower. Just doing what you do in family life with your friends. We're all a bit of a leader at times, but what style should we have? And how do we deal with our temptations? Well, the style of the leadership is clear. It's Jesus's example, a shepherd and a servant. Being close to God. Following the guidance of the Holy Spirit in all we do. Servants keep he calls. 
calls us now to follow Him, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the servant's King. There in the garden of tears, my heavy Sorrow was torn, yet not my will, but yours, he said. This is our God, the servant king. He calls us now to follow him, to bring our lives as a daily. Servant King, come see His hands and His feet, the scars that speak of sacrifice, hands that flung stars into space, to cruel nails podcast is adapted from recorded Zoom services held by Teambridge Methodist Circuit Coastal Section. Full videos can be viewed on their YouTube channel. Music is taken from worship audio tracks, all rights reserved.